We have uh, been looking at the Proverbs the last couple of weeks. Joshua has talked on Proverbs 1 and Proverbs 2. And I want to uh, do a couple of things this morning. I'm going to endeavor to do two things. First is to step back and give us an overview of the Proverbs because I really like doing that. And, uh, and just kind of give us some handles on how to interpret the Proverbs. Um, and then I want to look at chapter 3, verses 1 through 6 and talk specifically about how they build towards guidance, okay? You got that? So two different things we're gonna do this morning. So let's jump right in. First, a bit of an overview. Proverbs is one of the biblical books of wisdom um, along with uh, Job and Ecclesiastes. Um, much of it is attributed to King Solomon, uh, the son of King David. Not all of it, but much of it is. Um, and uh, so that would have dated it, you know, maybe somewhere around 1,000 B.C., so maybe up to 600, something like that. It's, it's uh, wisdom books are different than the rest of the books of the Old Testament. Most of the books of the Old Testament, you know, you start with Genesis and you, you trace this grand narrative of God uh, uh, calling a people, calling Abraham, and Abraham you know, his, his descendants become a nation and he calls his nation Israel to himself and there are kings and there are prophets and there are rebellions and there's punishment and there's God coming in and redeeming them again and again and you've got this, this grand story of him bringing this people up and preparing them for the Messiah. But the book of Proverbs kind of steps out of that. It doesn't reference any of these kings. There's, you don't have... It's not really directly a part of the story. It's almost an aside. It's, a, it's an extra thing um, that we have here, this book of wisdom. Um, and so it, it, doesn't, it doesn't deal so much uh, with, with that traditional stuff. It, it has a, a specific purpose, and uh, we're going to look at what that is. First of all, the name of the book comes from the very first verse, proverb, or mashal. Mash can you say that, mashal? Like, you know, my little sister's soul, mashal, right? The title, is, this is the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, that's in verse 1. Um, now, a proverb, this word actually means a pithy maxim, usually a metaphorical nature, hence a simile. Back in November, we, we did a study on the kingdom parables, and a, a parable is, is a comparison. It's like to throw two things alongside one another and compare them, and like the kingdom of God is like this. Well, a proverb is much the same. It's just typically a one-liner or a, a short thing. Um, and uh, um, in other words, it's, it's comparing this against that. Generally, this is going to be like a wise man and a foolish man. All right? In fact, wisdom is the central theme of this book. You probably know this already. That, the word for wisdom is chokmah. Right? Chokmah. Like, you know... My brother stole my coke, ma. Come to give it back. Thank you. That was for Mike. Mike, the king of the dad jokes. That was for you. He's not even listening. Unbelievable. You know what? Forget it. That's, that's fine. It's for Mike Kaiser. That's who it was for. <laughs> no, it turns around. <laughs> the, the chief focus of this book is, is wisdom. But it's not just like, if, if you think of wisdom as like, book learning, you're, you're shortchanging what wisdom actually is. Uh, this is, it's not just understanding, although understanding is a, is a thing that this book and the scriptures in general tell us to go after big time. 
as saying it's, it's a very valuable thing. And sometimes I think in circles like ours, we, we undervalue it a bit, I think. It, it seems like kind of this necessary evil, like, okay, we guess we should have some understanding here too, but we really want the spirit, you know, as if there's like, you can only have one or something, I don't know. But this is telling us that it's very important all the way through, understanding and knowledge. But it's not just knowledge. The, the, the author here believes that wisdom is an attribute of God himself. So oftentimes we have wisdom personified in the Proverbs. We have wisdom calling out in the street, saying, come this way, don't go and do that thing, that's ridiculous. Come this way, we have a lot of that kind of thing. Because wisdom is a part of who God is. So it's almost like God's up there calling us to do the smart thing, to do the good thing, to do the right thing. But it even gets better than that. Look, look at uh, this, how it's used here, this word chokmah in Exodus 35. This is a random verse, but just look the way it's used. He has filled them with chokmah to do every sort of work done by an engraver or by a designer or by an embroiderer in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen or by a weaver, by any sort of workman or skilled designer. Isn't that interesting? He has given, like you have got all of these artisans, these builders, these artists creating beautiful things. How are they doing it? They're doing it because they have chokmah. Our worship team has a lot of chokmah, wouldn't you say? You see, it's, it's, not just, it's not just wisdom, it's skill. It's art. You see that? So in this context, here's, here's really what we're saying then. A traditional proverb is usually a short saying that will compare two things in order to help us live life with greater chokmah, with greater skill. This book is not just about you getting smart. I mean, I really do hope that as you're reading the scripture, you're getting smarter. That's a thing we should all hope, right? It is a good thing, but it's more than that. He want, this writer wants you to live life with more skill, with more art, with more grace, that you, have, that you find greater success, that you become a blessing to others around you. So let's give a couple of examples of a traditional parable. Eh, it looks like I, here we go. Like a city that is broken into and without walls is a man who has no control over his spirit. Clearly we're comparing a man with a city. In what way? Well, a city without walls is always in danger, isn't it? It's clearly, you know, has intruders getting robbed. A city without walls is in danger all the time. It's in chaos all the time. It's in ruin. The same with a man who has no control over his spirit. He's always in, in, in a little bit of chaos. You, you don't want to bring a man without control of himself. You don't want to bring that man to a party. Quite seriously, right? It's like, especially if there's going to be alcohol, you're like, no, no. You, sir, have no walls. Therefore, I'm not going to have you come hang out with these people. It's just not a good idea, right? So, so the point is, if you want to live well, exercise self-control. Control your spirit. Don't, don't be one who has no limits. Don't be one of those guys who's on the cliche version of freedom, like, no, man, don't hem me in. Mm-mm. Don't put limits around me. That's not that. You know, don't, don't be that guy. Next one. 
There's just little examples. The plans of the diligent lead surely to advantage. But everyone who is hasty comes surely to poverty. Here we are comparing to work ethics. You have hard working and planning, diligence, right? Well, you leads to success, financial success. If you're constantly winging it, though, you might not ever find so much success, right? In fact, if you're constantly winging it, you're never putting money away. You're never, you're just everything's spur of the moment. And you're trying to be smart that way. That's a really bad way to manage uh, uh, your books. It's just a bad way. That's why Dave Ramsey, when you go through Dave Ramsey, he talks about the free spirit. Uh, what's the other one? The nerd and the free spirit, right? I'm totally like the free spirit. This is why I'm so thankful for my wife who's much better at this kind of thing than I am. Because if it was up to me, it'd be like, yeah, that sounds awesome. Let's go and do that. And she's like, no, no. If we followed you, we'd be the hasty ones who surely come to poverty. Okay? So what's the, what's the, the, the point of, the, para, of, of the, the, the proverb? Living well requires foresight and intentionality, right? It forces you to slow, even if it's like, that's just who I am. It's like, okay, just be who you are and be poor. Like that's, that's you just, just know that wisdom will help you in this regard. Another one, I love this one. Do not love sleep or you will become poor. <laughs> this is pretty good, isn't it? <laughs> Open your eyes and you will be satisfied with smooth. Look, with food, there is bacon. <sighs> Open your eyes, right? There's, yeah, yeah, smell, right? Clearly, we're talking about two habits, too much sleep. If you let that go, it becomes laziness. And once again, will lead to poverty. A lot, of this, a lot of these parables have that kind of general theme. However, disciplined sleep, discipline in following your alarm clock helps you get a job because <laughs> you're not always missing work and getting fired, right? And, and, uh, and get food on the table. Living well requires that we embrace a level of discipline. So, just three little examples of pithy proverbs. Now, um, that's what most of us think of probably when we think of this book. Uh, uh, most of the book of Proverbs is made up of these sayings. From chapter 10 to chapter 29, that's what we have. Now, the first nine chapters um, are different though. They're, they're like uh, uh, letters from a master to a student or like from a parent to a child. Um, Joshua, like I said, went through chapter one and chapter two when it starts with, my son, you know, listen to my teaching, these kinds of things. And, um, and that's what chapter three is gonna be as well. But before we get there, I wanna, I wanna be really clear about this. Proverbs are not the same thing as promises. They're more like principles. Now, they're extremely valuable and wonderful principles, but if you try to turn them into promises, you're going to make a mess of it and maybe of your own outlook on life or even attitude towards God. Uh, let me give you a quick example. Maybe this sounds like, uh, but just stick with me. This is standard biblical interpretation here. Um, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. This is a beautiful piece of wisdom that we need to embrace and be encouraged. That if we can raise up our child and love our, our child, even understanding uh, uh, the individuality of our child and, and understanding how he or she fits uh, in, into God's plan and all of those things, that they have a wonderful chance of success in life. In fact, we're, we're getting them started on a beautiful way uh, that they should go. And, and honestly, 
if they taste that, they taste the goodness of the Lord, they taste the goodness of wisdom, they're not going to want to depart from it. Not a lot of you guys were raised in a, a home that was, you know, at least partly a, a Christian home. And, and if you're like me, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I saw what was happening in the world and I, I knew there was opportunity. I knew I could go that direction, but I felt like I had seen enough. I had seen too much, you know? I'd seen too much of the goodness of God. And I had seen, every time I would think about going away, it's like, no, it's sort of like, you know, where else am I going to go? You have the words of eternal life. So I didn't end up departing from it. Thanks be to God. And I think the same is true with, with any of our cases, that, that as we continue to love and cherish our children, that they're going to have that desire to stay with it. So it's a beautiful proverb. If you press it into a promise, however, we might have some problems because here's the thing. You can never take away your child's will. There's nothing you or I can ever do to ensure that our children will follow the Lord or will make right decisions. There's nothing we can do to ensure that. And that's a stinging truth. But we're in good company because even God had children that walked away from him. Ha <laughs> ha! He still does. Even Jesus had one of his disciples walk away. So this is not a promise. It's not saying, I guarantee if you'll do this, ha, 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 you'll just be like, well, I'm done doing that. I did everything just right. You understand what I'm saying? I've seen whole curriculums, really, child uh, uh, raising curriculums that are based on this verse in the assumption that it's a promise. And then we really have problems because you have, you have parents that are like, oh my goodness, like, I've got to get this exactly right. If I, if I mess up at all, there's a chance my kid might develop the ability to choose against God always ability and it just adds too much pressure so proverbs are not promises they're more like wonderful principles that are are to be followed and to be embraced and to be to be you know for us to drink them in so let's uh let's transition here to proverbs chapter 3 and let's see how it builds toward seeking guidance from the Lord, because I think it, it's, it's pretty cool how this works. Now, I, I want to talk specifically about guidance, because I know some of you guys are in situations where you're asking for direction, or you're one, maybe you have a, one, you know, sort of chapter in your life that's closing, and you know something else is coming, and you're like, I want to know how to live. I want to know uh, uh, what to do. Maybe it's a career thing. Maybe it's a relationship thing. Maybe it's a, a college thing. And the reason I know some of you are facing this is not because I have great prophetic insight, but because you are a group of human beings sitting in a room. <laughs> and probably a good many of us are in a season of transition. So let's dive into chapter three. This is not intended in any way, shape, or form to be some like, you know, magnum opus on, on getting guidance. Just a few principles I think that might be helpful that he's kind of laying out here. Chapter 1 and 2, verse 1 and 2, excuse me, of chapter 3. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace will they add to you. Now once again, if this is a promise, we might have some trouble here because all of us have seen, in fact, this year, we've seen people die way too young and people who had actually followed God's laws very, very well. So it's, not, it's not that. So, so what's he saying? Um, well, um, let's, let's look at how uh, uh, Peterson, Eugene Peterson in the message says it. 
Good friends, don't forget all I've taught you. Take to heart my commands. They'll help you live a long, long time, a long life lived full and well. Are there exceptions to that? Well, yeah, sure. In fact, as Tim Mackey says, Tim Mackey, a scholar over at the Bible Project, and he's a professor, wonderful. I, I'm drawing from some of his research today. Um, but he uh, made the point, I thought this was quite interesting, that the three wisdom books, Proverbs presents the general wisdom, and the books of Job and Ecclesiastes actually show some of the exceptions, right? So it's important to know there are exceptions to, to, to any of these. But what he's saying is if you follow the commands of God, then most of the time, what you're going to find, you're going to find that your heart has a whole lot more peace and you're going to find a whole lot more success. And you're going you're to find that it will go well with you in all kinds of ways. If you live your life full of godly wisdom, you probably will end up living longer than you normally would. One of the things that godly wisdom entails, for example is that you understand your body was created by God and at certain seasons in life, your body might have tendencies to certain ailments. So when you reach those ages, it would be wonderful, godly wisdom to go and get those things checked out. That's godly wisdom right there, right? Guarantee if we do those things, probably we're gonna experience more life. Godly wisdom is to surround yourself in community. All of these things are good for the heart, good for the soul. Some of these are actually very spiritual that have profound implications. If you live your life wrapped up in bitterness and anxiety and unforgiveness, you are going to shave years off your life. Because that stuff gets inside you and will not let go. Ulcers develop, all kinds of ailments develop and can grow out of those places. So, let your heart keep my commandments, he says. Because he wants you to live a full life. He wants you to live a life that's full of peace. Length of days and long life and peace will they add to you. So let me specifically address that part for all of you who are seeking God's guidance in a season trying to figure out what is he saying. Um, are you, let me ask you, are you keeping God's commandments? Are you living within his loving limitations? Or are you winking at known sin in your life? You see, when we start walking in compromise, when we start to say, you know, I know, Lord, that that's what you actually say and that's the way I should be living. Ah, I know you're really nice. You won't care too much. And then what happens is you might try to convince yourself that it's all good, but your conscience is probably going, eh, 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 eh. And very often you walk around troubled. Now, if your conscience has stopped yelling at you, that's actually not a great place to be. That means you've told it to be quiet so many times that it's being quiet. But very often I think that, that, that conviction that we can walk in when we're not right with God, that has a way of creating anxiety in us and creating unrest in our souls that makes it very difficult to talk with him and to hear from him. Now, please hear me. I'm not in any way suggesting that if you have any anxiety issues, it's due to sin. That is not what I am saying at all, not even close. I've dealt with a lot of this too. That's not what I'm saying. However, I am saying 
that if you reject the Holy Spirit, if you follow Jesus and you reject what he's calling you to do, you will probably start feeling really anxious. That's just what tends to happen. You will lack peace. So if you are seeking to hear him and wondering, why don't I have peace? Let me just ask you that question. Are you walking within his loving limits on your life? Does that make sense? I'm going to jump to the next point here. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Uh, people get frozen while trying to seek God's direction very often. Uh, you might think you're at point A and you don't like point A and you really want to get to point W, you know? So you think, oh gosh, this isn't right. I, I'm not far along enough. I thought things would be different and they're not different and I can't get past here. And, and, and I've been there. I've been there. But the Proverbs say to bind faithfulness around your neck. Bind it around your neck. Uh, Peterson, Peterson says it this way. He says, don't lose your grip on love and loyalty. Isn't that good? Tie them around your neck. Carve their initials on your heart. Earn a reputation for living well in God's eyes and the eyes of the people. Reminds me of what's written in Psalm 37. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Just love that befriend faithfulness. Make a companion of faithfulness. Make faithfulness your bro or your bestie. The NASB says to cultivate faithfulness. Cultivate. Isn't that good? Grow faithfulness like tomatoes. Grow it. <laughs> Spend time there. So let me ask you this. You who are in the throes of indecision or maybe in a season of waiting, are you being faithful where you're at? Have you tied faithfulness around your neck? My mom used to always say this. She used to say, while you're waiting for guidance from the Lord, do the last thing. Keep doing the last thing he called you to do. And uh, I, I think that's good advice, you know, to just, just keep going. Resist that, that temptation, just like, oh, just, and just to kind of stop or end up pouting or whatever it is. Because what that's probably saying is you don't have a whole lot of, you're not, you're not placing a whole lot of value on where you actually are right now. But what I want to tell you is this. It's probably important where you're at right now. Bind faithfulness around your neck. Tattoo it to your heart. Until he reassigns you. If he does reassign you, he might not. He might not take you out of the situation that you're hoping to be in. Now, he might very well do that. Great, wonderful. But wherever he's called you, what if we just all purposed in our hearts that whatever your, our hands find to do, we do it with everything we have? What if we just did that? What if we made faithfulness a part of who we are, even if we're at a season of waiting or a season of transition? I believe if we do that, that takes away some of that anxiousness and it makes it easier even for the Lord to reassign us or redirect us. 
Sometimes it's difficult when you're just sitting there just kind of waiting and it's much easier. Be, get moving. Be faithful where you are. Finally, verse 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Lean not on your own understanding. I'm going to plagiarize my YWAM mentor, Larry Allen, this morning because he spoke to this point all the time and I just can't get him out of my head. Uh, so I'm going to do something that he often did this morning. I'm going to say to uh, uh, Gonzalo, my dear friend, Gonzalo Fajardo. Gonzalo, you don't have to come up. Just from right there. I just want to ask, and because I, I, I know you're my friend and... and um, and you're just such an honoring guy. I would, I would really love it if you would, from now on, let me make all your decisions. And before you say yes, here's what I mean. I mean, like all of your decisions, family decisions, um, you know, financial decisions. Yeah, if you just give me your bank account numbers, it'd be great. Um, you know, decisions on where you and Alaire are going to go out to dinner next time, um, uh, how you're going to deal with the children, what in the world you're going to do uh, with a, this son-in-law of yours, like all of those things. I, I, even, even honestly, your job, I would also like, before you do anything with your crew, I would really love to just be consulted. But it, and you know what? The next time you guys choose a show, you and your wife, to watch on Netflix, don't do it yet because I've got some I got a list for you. We're on out. Also, retirement plans. Um, also, all that stuff. So, now that we pretty much have it laid out, is, can, no. <laughs> I thought that was going to go a different way. I really did. No, of course, he's going to say no. Why? Because I am not qualified. Why am I not qualified? Let me count the ways. I'm not qualified because I cannot, I don't know Gonzalo's heart. I'm not qualified because I don't know all the dynamics going on. I'm not qualified because I do not see all the ways that God works. I do not see the next things that he's bringing down the pike, any of these things. I am not qualified to make all of Gonzalo's decisions. So why in the world do I think I'm qualified to make all of my decisions? Because the fact is, I don't understand my own heart. My heart makes all kinds of weird things. My heart kicks and thrashes and pouts and gets all tired and gets all angsty. And then it gets really ridiculously happy and then gets all worried. You know what I'm saying? Anyone else have a heart like that? Unruly hearts go on. I also don't understand my own family dynamics. I don't know. I look and I, I mean, I love my wife and my children. Sometimes they baffle me and I don't understand the right thing to do. Nor do I understand what in the world God is doing. So what is the next thing he's bringing? I don't know. I don't know how to be prepared for those things. I am not qualified to run my own life any more than I'm qualified to run Gonzalo's. Slow down. Do you see what I'm saying? See, we have a problem, as Larry would say. We have a problem. Uh, I, I, it's sort of like this. Come on. See this? This circle represents all there is to know. All right? There it is. And, and, and this represents all that I know. Can you see the dot? Mike, can you click? All that. I, there we go. Oh, oh, zoom in one more time here. There, ah, you see it? There it is. <laughs> Whew. Now. I, want to, I just want to, like, just disclaimer, this is not to scale. 
And I want to apologize because I couldn't make the dot any smaller, but there's no way that I actually own that much real estate on knowledge. It's little, it needs to be much, much smaller, but you guys couldn't see it if I made it any smaller. But you see what I'm saying? I, see, my problem is this. My brain fits right inside my head. So does yours. Your brain, not in mine, your, your brain fits inside your head. It's, you're too limited. We're all too limited. We have this little tiny perspective and this little bit of understanding of all the big truth, you see? So what do we do? How in the world can we move forward? You guys, we need a bigger and better perspective. We need the perspective of one who sees it all. We need a perspective of one who, who, who has been and always will be. You guys, we need God's perspective. We need to hear from him. We need to hear from him. And that's, that's why we read the scriptures. That's why we seek him together communally. That's why we talk about these things together as the people of God. And that's why, that's why we pray and ask him, Lord, speak to me. Because we believe he speaks to us. Lean not in your own understanding. Let me ask you this, O oh, you who are in transition. I know that you might be frustrated. I know you might be talking to him about these things. Here's my question. Are you listening for his voice? Are you listening? Or are you only ranting? Or only in that place of like calling out, you know? So many times in my personal life, I have called out and called out and called out to God. And I wonder how long he was trying to answer me, but I just kept calling out. I never shut my mouth, you know? Are you calling out? Are you seeking him? In, in, in all of, of the, are you listening for his voice in all that you do? Are you seeking him through your brothers and sisters? Are you seeking him in the scriptures? Because I believe he wants to respond and I believe he will make your paths straight. So don't lean on yourself. Lean on him and listen for his voice. Are you with me? So this is, Really, as Peterson says, trust God from the bottom of your heart. Don't try to figure out everything on your own. Listen for God's voice in everything you do, everywhere you go. He's the one who will keep you on track. I love that. In everything you do, everything, you, or everywhere you go, in all things, you see, in all things. Just to conclude, walk in obedience. Are you walking in obedience or are you giving way to compromise? Compromise will lead your soul into unrest, making it difficult to ascertain what he's calling you to. Walk in obedience. Practice faithfulness. Do the thing that's in front of you. Keep going as you keep asking. And finally, listen for his voice. Listen for his voice. Are you listening? Are you seeking his voice in scripture? Because if you're not taking time to listen, I promise you this, you won't hear. There's a big thought for this morning. You'll only hear if you're listening. So, I believe if we listen with a heart set on obedience and faithfulness, that we could be closer to ascertaining God's direction in life. And I believe you'll be able to live with more art 
and skill than you ever have before. Let's pray.